0: THREE SELECTIONS FROM THE CELTIC TWILIGHT BY WILLIAM BUTLER Yeats. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. THE THREE O'BURNS AND THE EVIL FAIRIES In the dim kingdom there is a great abundance of all excellent things. There is more love there than upon the earth there is more dancing there than upon the earth and there is more treasure there than upon the earth in the beginning the earth was perhaps made to fulfil the desire of man but now it has got old and fallen into decay what wonder if we try and pilfer the treasures of that other kingdom a friend was once at the village near slieve league one day he was straying about a wrath called cashel Nore a man with a haggard face and unkempt hair and clothes falling in pieces came into the rath and began digging my friend turned to a peasant who was working near and asked who the man was that is the third o'burn was the answer a few days after he learned this story a great quantity of treasure had been buried in the rath in pagan times and a number of evil fairies set to guard it but some day it was to be found and belonged to the family of the O'Burns. Before that day three O'Burns must find it and die. Two had already done so. The first had dug and dug, until at last he got a glimpse of the stone coffin that contained it. But immediately a thing like a huge hairy dog came down the mountain and tore him to pieces. The next morning the treasure had again vanished deep into the earth. The second O'Byrne came and dug and dug until he found the coffer and lifted the lid and saw the gold shining within. He saw some horrible sight the next moment and went raving mad and soon died. The treasure again sank out of sight. The third O'Byrne is now digging. He believes that he will die in some terrible way the moment he finds the treasure, but that the spell will be broken and the O'Byrne family made rich forever as they were of old a peasant of the neighbourhood once saw the treasure he found the shin-bone of a hare lying on the grass he took it up there was a hole in it he looked through the hole and saw the gold heaped up under the ground he hurried home to bring a spade but when he got to the wrath again he could not find the spot where he had seen it Drumcliff and Rosses Drumcliff and Rosses were, are, and ever shall be, please heaven, places of unearthly resort. I have lived near by them and in them, time after time, and have gathered thus many a crumb of fairy lore. Drumcliff is a wide green valley lying at the foot of Ben Bulbin the mountain in whose side the square white door swings open at nightfall to loose the fairy riders on the world. The great Saint Columba himself, the builder of many of the old ruins in the valley, climbed the mountains on one notable day to get near heaven with his prayers. Ross's is a little sea dividing, sandy plain, covered with short grass, like a green tablecloth. And lying in the foam midway between the round carn headed knockneria and ben Bulbin, famous for hawks. But for ben Bulbin and knockneria, many a poor sallard be cast away, as the rhyme goes. At the northern corner of Rosses is a little promontory of sand and rocks and grass, a mournful haunted place. No wise peasant would fall asleep under its low cliff. FOR HE WHO SLEEPS HERE MAY WAKE SILLY, THE GOOD PEOPLE HAVING CARRIED OFF HIS SOUL. THERE IS NO MORE READY SHORTCUT TO THE DIM KINGDOM THAN THIS PLOVERY HEAD LAND. FOR COVERED AND SMOTHERED NOW FROM SIGHT BY MOUNDS OF SAND, A LONG CAVE GOES THITHER, FULL OF GOLD AND SILVER, AND THE MOST BEAUTIFUL PARLORS AND DRAWING-ROOMS. ONCE, BEFORE THE SAND COVERED IT, A DOG STRAYED IN, and was heard yelping helplessly deep underground in a fort far inland these forts are Rath's made before modern history had begun cover all rosses and all column kill the one where the dog yelped has like most others an underground beehive chamber in the midst once when i was poking about there an unusually intelligent and breeding peasant who had come with me and waited outside, knelt down by the opening, and whispered in a timid voice, Are you all right, sir? I had been some little while underground, and he feared I had been carried off like the dog. No wonder he was afraid, for the fort has long been circled by ill boding rumors. It is on the ridge of a small hill, on whose northern slope lie a few stray cottages one night a farmer's young son came from one of them and saw the fort all flaming and ran towards it but the glamour fell on him and he sprang onto a fence cross-legged and commenced beating it with a stick for he imagined the fence was a horse and that all night long he went on the most wonderful ride through the country in the morning he was still beating his fence and they carried him home where he remained a simpleton for three years before he came to himself again. A little later a farmer tried to level the fort. His cows and horses died, and all manner of trouble overtook him, and finally he himself was led home, and left useless with his head on his knees by the fire to the day of his death. A few hundred yards southwards of the northern angle of Ross's is another angle having also its cave though this one is not covered with sand about twenty years ago a brig was wrecked near by and three or four fishermen were put to watch the deserted hulk through the darkness at midnight they saw sitting on a stone at the cave's mouth two red-capped fiddlers fiddling with all their might the men fled a great crowd of villagers rushed down to the cave to see the fiddlers but the creatures had gone to the wise peasant the green hills and woods round him are full of never-fading mystery when the aged country woman stands at her door in the evening and in her own words looks at the mountains and thinks of the goodness of god god is all the nearer because the pagan powers are not far because northward in bin bulbin famous for hawks the white square door swings open at sundown And those wild, unchristian riders rush forth upon the fields, while southward the white lady, who is doubtless mauve herself, wonders under the broad cloud nightcap of Nochnaria. How may she doubt these things, even though the priest shakes his head at her? Did not a herd boy, no long while since, see the white lady? She passed so close that the skirt of her dress touched him. He fell down and was dead three days but this is merely the small gossip of fairydom, the little stitches that join this world and the other one night as i sat eating mrs h s soda bread her husband told me a longish story much the best of all i heard in ross's many a poor man from Finn m cool to our own days has had some such adventure to tell of for those creatures the good people love to repeat themselves. At any rate, the storytellers do. In the times when we used to travel by the canal, he said, I was coming down from Dublin. When we came to Mullingar, the canal ended, and I began to walk, and stiff and fatigued, I was after the slowness. I had some friends with me, and now and then we walked. Now and then we rode in a cart so on till we saw some girls milking cows, and stopped to choke with them. After a while we asked them for a drink of milk. We have nothing to put it in here, they said, but come to the house with us. We went home with them, and sat round the fire talking. After a while the others went, and left me, loath to stir from the good fire. I asked the girls for something to eat. There was a pot on the fire, and they took the meat out and put it on a plate and told me to eat only the meat that came off the head. When I had eaten, the girls went out, and I did not see them again. It grew darker and darker, and there I still sat, loath as ever to leave the good fire, and after a while two men came in, carrying between them a corpse. When I saw them coming, I hid behind the door, says one to the other, putting the corpse on the spit. Who'll turn the spit? says the other. Michael H., come out of that and turn the meat. I came out all of a tremble and began turning the spit. Michael H., says the one who spoke first, if you let it burn, we'll have to put you on the spit instead. And on that they went out. I sat there trembling and turning the corpse till towards midnight. The men came again, and the one said it was burnt, and the other said it was done right. But having fallen out over it, they both said they would do me no harm that time and sitting by the fire one of them cried out michael h can you tell me a story Devil a one said i on which he caught me by the shoulder and put me out like a shot it was a wild blowing night never in all my born days did i see such a night the darkest night that ever came out of the heavens I did not know where I was for the life of me. So when one of the men came after me and touched me on the shoulder with a Michael H., can you tell a story now? I can, says I. In he brought me, and putting me by the fire, says, begin. I have no story but the one, says I, that I was sitting here, and you two men brought in a corpse and put it on the spit and set me turning it. That will do, says he, ye may go in there and lie down on the bed. And I went, nothing loathe. And in the morning where was I but in the middle of a green field? Drumcliff is a great place for omens. Before a prosperous fishing season a herring barrel appears in the midst of a storm cloud. And at a place called Cullumkill's Strand, a place of marsh and mire, an ancient boat, with saint columba himself comes floating in from sea on a moonlight night a portent of a brave harvesting they have their dread portents too some few seasons ago a fisherman saw far on the horizon renowned high brazel where he who touches shall find no more labor or care nor cynic laughter but shall go walking about under shadiest boss cage and enjoy the conversation of kukolin and his heroes a vision of high brazel forebodes national troubles drumcliff and rosses are choke-full of ghosts by bog road wrath hillside sea border they gather in all shapes headless women men in armor shadow hares fire-timed hounds whistling seals and so on A whistling seal sank a ship the other day. At Drumcliff there is a very ancient graveyard. The annals of the four masters have this verse about a soldier named Dinad Auk, who died in 871. A pious soldier of the race of Con lies under hazel crosses at Drumcliff. Not very long ago an old woman, turning to go into the churchyard at night to pray, saw standing before her a man in armor, who asked her where she was going. It was the pious soldier of the race of Khan, says local wisdom, still keeping watch with his ancient piety over the graveyard. Again, the custom is still common hereabouts of sprinkling the doorstep with the blood of a chicken on the death of a very young child thus as belief is drawing into the blood the evil spirits from the too weak soul blood is a great gatherer of evil spirits to cut your hand on a stone on going into a fort is said to be very dangerous there is no more curious ghost in drumcliff or ross's than the snipe ghost there is a bush behind a house in a village that i know well for excellent reasons i do not say whether in drumcliff or ross's or on the slope of ben or even on the plain round Naknaria. There is a history concerning the house in the bush. A man once lived there who found on the quay of Silago a package containing three hundred pounds in notes. It was dropped by a foreign sea captain. This my man knew, but said nothing. It was money for freight, and the sea captain, not daring to face his owners, committed suicide in mid ocean. Shortly afterwards my man died, his soul could not rest. At any rate, strange sounds were heard round his house, though that had grown and prospered since the freight money. The wife was often seen by those still alive out in the garden praying at the bush I have spoken of, for the shade of the dead man appeared there at times. The bush remains to this day, once portion of a hedge, it now stands by itself, for no one dare put a spade or pruning knife about it, As to the strange sounds and voices, they did not cease till a few years ago, when, during some repairs, a snipe flew out of the solid plaster and away. The troubled ghost, say the neighbors, of the note-finder was at last dislodged. My forebears and relations have lived near Ross's and Drumcliff these many years. A few miles northward I am wholly a stranger and can find nothing. When I ask for stories of the fairies, my answer is some such as was given me by a woman who lives near a white stone fort, one of the few stone ones in Ireland, under the seaward angle of Ben Bulbin. They always mind their own affairs, and I always mind mine, for it is dangerous to talk of the creatures. Only friendship for yourself or knowledge of your forebears will loosen these cautious tongues. My friend the sweet harp-string i give no more than his irish name for fear of gougers has the science of unpacking the stubbornest heart but then he supplies the potine makers with grain from his own fields besides he is descended from a noted gaelic magician who raised the dell in great eliza's century and he has a kind of prescriptive right to hear tell of all kind of other world creatures they are almost relations of his, if all people say concerning the parentage of magicians be true. THE RELIGION OF A SAILOR A sea captain, when he stands upon the bridge, or looks out from his deck house, thinks much about God and about the world. Away in the valley yonder among the corn and the poppies, men may well forget all things except the warmth of the sun upon the face and the kind shadow under the hedge. But he who journeys through storm and darkness must needs think and think. One July, a couple of years ago, I took my supper with a Captain Moran on board the SS Margaret that had put into a western river from I know not where. I found him a man of many notions, all flavored with his personality, as is the way with sailors. He talked in his queer sea manner of God and the world, and up through all his words broke the hard energy of his calling. Sir, said he, did you ever hear tell of the sea captain's prayer? No, said I. What is it? It is, he replied. O Lord, give me a stiff upper lip. And what does that mean? It means, he said, that when they come to me some night and wake me up, and say, Captain, we're going down, that I won't make a fool o' meself. Why, sir, we war in mid-Atlantic, and I standin' on the bridge, when the third mate comes up to me lookin' mortal bad, says he, Captain, all's up with us, says I. Didn't you know when you joined that a certain percentage go down every year? Yes, sir, says he. And says I, aren't you paid to go down? Yes, sir, says he. And says I, and go down like a man, and be damned to you. End of three stories from Celtic Twilight by William Butler Yeats.